It's iBookbindings podcast, uh, and today our guest is uh, uh, Jay Tanner, bookbinder, and uh, many things more. Uh, maybe we could talk a bit about your, uh, your uh, uh, bookbinding experience now. I uh, I learned from, like I said, uh, Carl Kurtz, just really bare minimum stuff. You know, the stuff that I was doing in high school, I look at now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I've gotten a lot better. And then I look at the stuff that I did with Carl Kurtz and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've gotten a lot better. <laughs> and, uh, uh, wait a sec, have you learned calligraphy from him uh, too? Because he is very impressive. Yeah, his stuff is amazing. And the stuff that's online, unfortunately, is not, it doesn't even touch the surface. You know, like it's, there, there's so much more stuff that I at one point was working with his wife to try to get it digitized. Um, and then somebody else was working with his wife to get it digitized. And I just don't think it ever really happened, which is unfortunate. Um, but anyway, um, yes, we did. I did learn calligraphy from him. I am not good enough to, to show it. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, I think the only piece that I ever really appreciated is actually here on my workbench. which it's got a lot of problems, but <laughs> I was still learning. So yeah, I haven't done calligraphy in years and his stuff is, you know, kind of sometimes when you see somebody do something that amazing, you kind of go, oh man, it's, he's taken 50 years to get that good. I, I'm not that interested in calligraphy. So <laughs> I kind of stopped, but, and then I took a, a, an introductory level one also in college after that got a little bit better. That was with an instructor named Laura Berman, who's actually a phenomenal printer, um, B-E-R-M-A-N. And uh, so I took classes with her. I, I had known a lot of the structures at that point, but she kind of helped me fine tune it. And then I would say to date, my, my most influential mentor is Karen Hammer, which is, uh, you know, she, she does a lot of online workshops right now, which my wife and I have been helping her with the digital side of that. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I, I really want to uh, see Karen uh, uh, in, in the future among, uh, as our guests on this, on this podcast. We, we haven't uh, reached, uh, uh, reached out to, to Karen yet uh, uh, because we, we have our uh, schedule uh, full at the moment. And, uh, uh, but I guess maybe for the next season, uh, I will try to invite her and I hope, I hope she agrees. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she would. She would. She's, yeah. That'd be, that'd be fun. And her store, her studio is gorgeous. Mine is this, you know, dark, dingy uh, garage space where I'm always working against the light. Like I never have enough light and she's got <laughs> these big, nice windows, huge, nice, beautiful ceilings. And, and it's a really, it's a great place to go and take a physical workshop uh, if, if that was still going on right now. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's my goal someday <laughs> to have a studio like that. <laughs> And what what what, uh, what kind of books uh, uh, are you making? What what are your particular interests? Are you trying to replicate those arts and crafts? Um, I think it would be fun to do a couple of those someday. I also kind of I like the idea of kind of living in your time, so I don't want to to do too much of that. I mean that was that was their thing, you know. So I kind of I want to make sure that I'm living in my time and and doing my own stuff, but. Um, I always admire that and I think it would be really cool when I get better at fine binding to always kind of reference that with my gold tooling, but also kind of, uh, I've had this idea for years of doing something that's a really like arts and crafts cover, but then having it like melt away and do like some crazy tooling or something, you know, have it like kind of start to dissolve or something, you know, I don't know, like that's just kind of an off the top of my head thing, but I am really working toward fine binding and I want to uh, start doing more exhibitions putting my bindings in um, different competitions or different exhibitions, things like that. It's kind of all over the board right now. I'm, like I said, working on my conservation. So it's kind of a little bit of each. <laughs> uh, and it, is that your conservation uh, cupboard next to you? Because I'm seeing some glasses, vials. Yeah. It looks very alchemy to me. We can kind of take a tour, but you all have to understand that my studio is a disaster. <laughs> We're, we're kind of in the process of, of trying to move and trying to get our own place because we're renting the house that we live in right now. And so I have begun, started to box things up and kind of when you, I don't know if you guys have the same, same experience, but when you try to organize things, it gets way more disorganized before it gets organized. <laughs> 
what was it? It's gonna get bad before it gets good. Right. Yeah. 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 So if you want, uh, we can take a, a quick tour. I can show you the main workbench that I work on, which is the one I'm sitting at. Um, and I've kind of got like set up for the the better lighting and everything, and I've got the tripod there. Those the the light isn't usually here, and the tripod isn't usually here. So I usually have good access to my favorite press. This is a Hickok uh, one and a half press. It's a really good size. Um, it's small, but it also can handle really thick books. It's perfect for family Bibles, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I've got, you know, just some tools hanging up. My tools that I use most often, I've just got to do it here. Oh, look. There's your tools. Um, and then I've got, you know, I, at one point I tried to kind of, organize everything and put labels and everything. Um, that has also since dissolved and I've kind of given up on that. Uh, the display case you see here, I keep a lot of glassware in. I keep all my adhesives so that they can stay dry in. Um, some special brushes and special tools. I've got some agate burnishers, things like that. Things that I don't want to get damaged. Um, and then behind me, um, I've got my large standing press, which actually has a box in it right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a, a backing press, uh, just a, a wooden one, um, some backing hammers. And then I'm not super great at tooling yet, but I have tried to kind of amass some gold tooling tools. These are kind of uh, gouges and these are more decorative ones. And then I have all my lettering tools on this side so that everything's kind of easily accessible. My quick print is non-operational right now. <laughs> and rusty and I need to fix all that. But I do have a Kensel that was just given to me. Uh, and uh, I it is operational, but I don't know how to use it fully. And so I'm still learning. So, and then uh, my wife and I call this the conservation table. Um, it's just a, a pretty large table. It's got book, book cloth and everything underneath it. Um, a big work surface. I have cutting mat on one side and then I have um, just a smoother surface on the other. Mm -hmm. uh, these, these are window weights. I don't know if they're common uh, where you guys are, but they're really common here. Um, these are awesome weights. Um, I just have a little bit of uh, kind of corrugated board glued to the bottom. And they're just nice cast iron weights that you can get pretty cheap. They're for big curtains and things like that. I never, never saw anything I mean, like that. I've never seen anything like that either. Yeah, they, they have this loop and um, yep. they're for, you know, kind of hanging curtains and being balancing uh, different things. And then again, here's where the disaster happens. So don't don't judge it too harshly. <laughs> I um, am, you know, boxing and going through things, a lot of this stuff, either getting rid of or whatever, but I've got a board shear. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of see a peak of my library. We won't go in there because, again, it's it's a disaster. But so, how how do you plan to move all this heavy stuff? Because, uh, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> the The nice thing is, is I left the board shear on its pallet. <laughs> yeah, it came on. So yeah. um, that one is pretty easy. You know, you just get a pallet jack, and um, that's that works. So, um, but the other stuff. I have three brother. I have two brothers, and I've got a, a good friend of mine who hate me every time they have to move something heavy, but they love me enough to do it anyway. <laughs> so. Uh, and uh, do you also restore the furniture in there? Because I can't imagine you uh, bringing another table into that space. No, it is it is very very tight. You know, like um, I have. Before the pandemic, I had one guy who was coming in every week uh, to study with me and just do like minor stuff. He's kind of learning like just the, the very bare minimum right now. But um, there really is enough for me and one other person. Um, you know, the, the, the hallway, the sort of walkways are very thin, that sort of thing. So it's not conducive to workshops or anything like that. Um, but it works for what I need it to do now. And then the, the house that we're hoping to buy soon um, has a really big basement, so hopefully that'll make a much better work uh, workspace. Okay, good good luck with that. Yeah, I'll have to get rid of a lot of stuff though, because it's it's packing up, it's starting to mound up. 
Well, with me, it usually happened that uh, uh, we packed everything and then I started to throw away uh, the stuff after we already moved. Oh, <laughs> when you're unpacking it, you go, oh, I don't really Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> it's really hard to throw away stuff before you move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I might have to try that out. Yeah, so it's all kind of connected. The, the The garage here goes out to the street. So we are basement level. We're under the ground, but the garage goes out to the street. So everything's level. And, you know, it, it's a one-car garage where I'm at right now. But then there's this kind of little area where the board shear is. And then there's a door. And then that's where my library is, which is really kind of a hallway that I have put bookshelves along. <laughs> So it's not a very big room, but it's it's kind of a long, skinny room that I've put bookshelves on either side. So I wanted to ask you to show uh, us uh, some of the more specialized conservator equipment because we've had conservators uh, on the show before, but they never gave us uh, a detailed tour. Here's a couple um, that I actually have been using recently. Well, these, which again I can't speak highly enough about. <laughs> and then, okay. um, so these I found uh, when I was, I had an internship at Dartmouth with Deborah Howe, who also is a really big um, mentor for me. And Dartmouth uses these curved scissors. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're made by Wiss. And from what I understand, they don't make them anymore. So I had to find it on eBay um, and it's used. But these scissors are really great to get, to be able to get right up next to the object and cut really, really close. So I really like these. Um, I'm terrible at cutting. So if I can use a scalpel, I will. Um, and then, you know, there's like lifting knives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, when, when I buy these, these are Caselli. Uh, I think they're made in Italy. Yes. Um, when I buy them, I actually modify them. So I take and sand down and make these actually thinner and less sharp. And what happens then is you get this kind of microscopic little rounded dome on the top part, but then the bottom part, just like a paring knife is flat. And that I think that that helps get under tape and to lift things. Sometimes if I have a really delicate document, I'll just use this to pick it up. Cause sometimes when you pick up a piece of paper, you kind of want to rip it or, you know, whatever. Um, were those originally made for, conservat uh, for conservators? That's a really good question. I have never seen them used by anyone else other than bookbinders and conservators. But, um, you know, they come in a variety of different sizes. And this, this is the shape that I like, but they also have different shapes. I mean, this end has a kind of a paddle rounded end. They have one that's kind of a complete circle. Uh, this one, this comes in handy every once in a while. This one has this end, but on the other side, it's like a mini chisel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that comes in handy every once in a while. But I, I have never seen them used by anybody who doesn't do this kind of work, but maybe they were, I don't know. Um, and then I always have a pair of dividers handy. I use this more often than not than a pencil. So I'll mark something by just putting a little dot into it. Um, you know, if I've got, if I'm cutting a piece of paper, I'll have my ruler and this, I'll put a little dot, put a little dot, and then take my scalpel and, and cut it clean off. Uh, that, uh, that looks rather old. Yeah, this is a union tool company. I don't know, maybe it's, it's, it's probably from between the 30s and the 60s. Uh, it's not super old, but it's, it's had a life before me for sure. <laughs> Um, I'm an engineer's child, so I'm familiar with those kind, kinds of instruments. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I personally, a lot of people swear by the Starrets, but I really like the Union Tool Companies just a little bit better. And I don't know if it's just how they feel in the hand or what, but um, like this is a this is a Starrett that Brian uh, Beidler uh, modified for me for box making. This little this little paddle hugs next to the bookboard and you can make a score on the bookboard the full length down um, and he he got this design from Luigi Castiglione I hope I didn't uh, botch his name but yep. anyway um, for uh, tearing Japanese tissue I use a, an etching needle 
Um, so definitely something that wasn't made for its purpose, but I take it and I score uh, Japanese tissue to rip it. Um, if I want, that's if I want a short hair. And in most book conservation things that I do, I don't want a ton of the little, the little fibrils that come out. Um, if I want longer, I will use, I have, um, have you guys ever seen those paint brushes that have the little water? They're like for watercolor. They have the water in the handle of the paintbrush. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Any, anyway, I use one of those if I want longer little um, paint fibers. I'll use water and then rip it and it kind of gives it a longer. Um, and then this is probably my favorite all. This was made by Jim Croft, um, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with his work, but he's really kind of cool. He lives in the middle of nowhere and he'll cut down a tree and make the, the book boards for his books. He makes all the paper for by hand. I think he's even making his own thread now. So his goal is to make every single thing from nature and by hand. He, he, he does carve all of his um, and engrave all of his own clasps and everything. He, he does a lot of crazy stuff, but anyway, he also makes all- Where, where does he live? I like this guy already. He lives in Idaho. Jim, Jim Croft? Yes, yep. Mm -hmm. he, he's, he's got several articles in the Guild newsletter, which are all digitized and online. And um, he's done yeah, a lot got of- him. Got him, got yeah. him. And, he, and he, he, he doesn't, I mean, the only way to contact him is you can call him sometimes, but really writing him a letter. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think he really emails. I don't think he's on very much social media or anything, but you know, he, he's a really neat guy and I've never had the chance to study with him, but every single time I get to see him at the Guild of Book Workers Conference, it's, it's awesome. But this, this all, I picked it up one day uh, off his table. The bottom of it sits right here. Then there's the little knot. Mm -hmm. And so everything just fits perfect in the hand. And I, I really love this. Your thumb can fit right in that little groove. So it just, I love this, but I use that a lot. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting all. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really can, can feel how it can be, uh, you know, good in your hand, so. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you know, much better than the one I started with, which, you know, I, it, the, they make these and I can't believe it. I mean, I've learned that the hole you want punched needs to be the same thickness as your needle. So when they make these enormous things, you're punching way too big of a hole. So that's why I like this. I mean, it's really thin and small. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had some issues with the uh, punching cradles that I make. Uh, uh, for 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 punching signatures and uh, uh, initially I uh, designed them with uh, pretty uh, pretty narrow holes. So there are of course there are different sizes of holes and uh, uh, I, I designed these uh, 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 old guides for for the for the thinner holes because I thought it it would be better to 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 make smaller holes and uh, uh, I suppose uh, uh, use use the needles as you said the hole should be at the size of the needle maybe maybe a bit larger because you need to account for the thread as well uh, but then uh, uh, well, constantly I got uh, uh, comments from uh, from buyers uh, that's okay my hole wouldn't go through the uh, the hole so I I made them a bit larger just you know not to have uh, bad reviews or something like that. <laughs> well, and I, I think I think that kind of is the difference. That, that's one of those things that you learn, you know, as you, you know, when you're first, when you're first looking for tools, this is the one that pops up the cheapest, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and so you think, well, I need an all, so I'll buy this one because it's the cheapest. Well, you learn that maybe this isn't the best tool. And so, you know, I very rarely use this now unless I like really need like a big hole in something and, and so then you learn, well, actually, I only need a small little needle um, to punch much of the holes. And I think that that's, that's been a lot of what I've been learning lately, is all those little tips and tricks. When I've been working with Karen, she might be teaching me a structure that I already know how to make. But when I watch her do it, I'm watching her hands, and I'm watching how she moves, and I'm watching how, um, you know, how she does things, because that's those little tips and tricks that you learn from somebody who's done it a lot longer than you is is really important. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, I had a similar experience when I went to the 
American Academy of Bookbinding five years ago. Uh, I, I, I studied uh, at the box making uh, class with uh, Peter Geraghty and uh, fine binding class with Don Glaster. And uh, uh, well, most of the things they, they taught, I, I already knew before the, these classes. But uh, uh, these small tips and tricks and these uh, things that they know because they have uh, years and years of experience, uh, uh, they, this is what's, what's the, what was the most important part for me. And I, I learned a lot of small things that I, I hope made me a better bookbinder. <laughs> and those are always the things that aren't in books, you know? Yeah. Um, when you watch somebody do it in person, you learn those things. You know, it's not just a step-by-step, -step, okay, I know how to make a clamshell box, Yeah. but how can I make it better? How can I make it faster? How can I make it more accurate? You learn those little tips and tricks. Yeah. And what about making your own tools? You certainly have the skills. No, <laughs> no, no, I do not. I wish I did. I mean, I can, I can sharpen a paring knife. I can modify something slightly. Um, you know, I grew up, my dad, rebuilds houses for a living. So I'm, I'm, I like to think that I'm pretty handy because I grew up doing all of that stuff. Um, but I, I'm not, I can't do a ton of, you know, machine work or I can't do, you know, what Brian's doing right now with uh, all the finishing tools, you know, engraving those. I think that's phenomenal and I would love to learn how to do that, but it's way out of my, my skill set. <laughs> well, maybe one day. Right. <laughs> So when, when do you finish your education and uh, get your master's degree? When, when will this happen? So in my bachelor's, in the bachelor's program, they didn't require me to do any science classes at the Art Institute. And I am not super great at math and science. So if it doesn't involve measuring, if it doesn't involve, you know, something with the hands, I'm probably not good at it. And so they didn't require me to take a science class. So naturally I didn't take one. <laughs> Well, for the, the chemistry or for the um, conservation schools, they require you to have four chemistry classes. Mm -hmm. um, and they're very specific, you know, you have to have this uh, GPA in those classes and all that stuff. And so right now I'm taking those at a local college that, that doesn't cost very much. And um, actually they, one of the schools that I'm really interested in in Delaware uh, just opened up their, they're making online class eligible now. It hadn't been that way before. Um, and so I had been waiting. I've been waiting for like a year, close to two years. Uh, I've been waiting to take these chemistry classes, but all the schools have been shut down. Mm -hmm. Well, they have had online courses, but the websites of those schools always said, you can't take it online. You have to take it in person. And so now they're kind of, I think, relaxing that rule a little bit. And so I'm thinking about uh, enrolling next semester in a chemistry class. So I guess I guess coronavirus helps you a bit. I guess, yeah. <laughs> but uh, still, I can understand why they require chemistry to be taken in person. There is a practical part yeah, with, to it. With the lab, you need to be able like to 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 mix things and use fire, etc. Uh, how how will that work in your case? I'm not really sure. The, the school does offer both the lecture and the lab online. So I don't know if the instructor just stands there and does it all and shows you how to do it. But like you say, that's not really hands-on. You know, you're learning. It kind of relates back to what we were talking about with, with book binders. You know, you learn a lot from doing it yourself and also watching the people to do it. And so I think you're maybe missing that aspect. But I'm not complaining because I don't know when school's going to open, and so I don't want to push this chemistry back any further. Uh, uh, I teach at the school that has a very strong chemistry department. So during the uh, quarantine, uh, they offered a mix of the two approaches you, you mentioned. So uh, the more complicated, the more danger, dangerous stuff they show, uh, uh, showed online, but they also arranged for everyone to have the same set of, ba of basic ingredients. That's and they also made uh, uh, some experiments that don't involve obnoxious gases and stuff. Um, so that could work too. Yeah, I wonder that they may be doing something like that. So we'll see. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 an interesting time time we live in. Yeah. Lots of lots of strange things happening. I think we'll all, you know, years from now we'll all go, oh my gosh, 
<laughs> we lived through that, you know, like, oh, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. so I, don't, I, I don't know. The, uh, the longer it lasts, the more I'm thinking that it's going to change the future. It won't be a blip. I mean, I we'll, uh, we'll look on pre-pandemic times as why were we doing that offline? Why exactly did we need it to go all to the same place to do what again? Yeah, well, that's a good point. Or, or, you know, just generally when people are sick, you know, it might be, which I know they do that in some other countries, you know, when you're sick, you walk around with a mask just as a courtesy to other people. So, you know, I know uh, I've seen lots of video footage of Asian countries doing that. And so maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that would become more of our re reality too, that masks get pulled out of the drawer every once in a while or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, one one hopes. I I also hope people start to wash their filthy hands yeah. better and more often, like yeah. or not go, not going to work when they're sick. Yeah. Yeah. My 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 wife told me that uh, uh, last September, when uh, their office opened for 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 literally just a week uh, uh, before between two lockdowns. Uh, so she went to the office and uh, there is this colleague of, of hers uh, and they work in, in an open space and uh, there is this colleague of hers who always comes to the office when he's sick and he's sneezing all around and all that stuff and, uh, and usually it's, uh, it's not normal but nobody would say anything because uh, well it's something that so many people do but this time everybody were like dude why are you here? Right. Like, are you okay? <laughs> so me, I, I really hope that something things will change and uh, yeah. uh, and and with the masks as well because uh, uh, at least they are. I'm not. I'm not sure about the United States because uh, the things we hear uh, from from here from Europe uh, about uh, what's happening in the United States are nice. uh, sound really strange. <laughs> but it 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 seems to me that uh, uh, in 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 Europe, not in Russia once again, because Russia is also a strange place. Uh, but in in many uh, Western European countries, uh, masks are much more normalized now, and uh, more people feel that it's it's okay. It's not, you know. It's uh, it's not a damage to your masculinity to to wear a mask if you're sick or something like that. So, yeah. well, I, I can tell you, working in a school district during this time has been really interesting. Yeah. And and in Kansas City, they have done a really good job with mask mandates. You know, things like that. They were they they put those in place really early, uh, earlier than some places. But you know, then you have I don't know if you guys have heard the news, but you have places like Texas that just lifted yeah. the mask mandate for no reason <laughs> you know it's and and it's you kind of go like why 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 you know and uh you know it's just the crazy t time we're living in and and like you, you know you put it america's a weird place you know uh when you were saying you know people should just not go to work because they're sick they should stay home yeah i agree but also that opens up the whole can of worms of america has a terrible health yeah system you know so so it's just it's just a weird weird time and i'm hoping things change a little bit especially since we have a new administration in which i may not agree with everything they do but i'm sure that they'll do better than the last one <laughs> so, uh the bar is set pretty low yes yeah very, very low yes <laughs> i i also find it really strange how america and russia being like polar opposites in so many uh, important respects come to a, a weirdly similar places in other respects, like they do with uh, uh, attitude towards ma masks and pandemic in, ge uh, in general. Yeah, and vaccination. And vaccination too. And what about the rules uh, of handling uh, book, uh, books? Do they disinfect them? Uh, how, how, I don't know. Or do you? Or do I kind of hope, uh, hope that they don't disinfect them because I don't know what chemical they're putting on them. <laughs> but um, generally speaking, if I get a book in the mail, I'll just leave it unopened for a week or two. And I mean, really, if I'm going to get something after that, um, you know, it would be unfortunate, but I don't know if there's anything that could be helped. I don't want to to put a bunch of disinfectant, something that's going to kill the virus, I don't know is necessarily good for a leather bound book, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
And what uh, what about ultraviolet or stuff like that? That that, that does. They, I think they say it does kill the virus, but the problem is ultraviolet light is the worst thing you can do for a book. So it's kind of like, like I think I, I read something about, you know, like how museums have no flash photography on certain things. Um, one flash of ultraviolet light from a camera can be as bad as leaving something in the sun for five to 10 days. So, so it's concentrated a bunch of light that you just projected onto the object. And I, and I may have botched those numbers, but um, you know, I know that museums are very particular about flashlight because it's, it's, it's just like leaving the object out in the sun. And I don't know if you've ever left a dyed article of clothing or something in your car and it's like gotten, you know, so, so I know that I don't wanna do that to my books either. So basically there's nothing you can do but wait. Yeah, I just leave it in the box and and I mean, hope that the person that didn't send it to me is sick and hope that the virus dies in time. I don't know, that may not be the best method, but <laughs> it goes from the box uh, to my bookshelf usually, unless I'm looking at it. And lately I haven't had a lot of time to look, look at or read my book, so. Uh, but uh, uh, surely when you get multi-books, we recently talked to a couple of conservators uh, who basically spent uh, the last year fighting mold. Uh, uh, because lo lots of books uh, got uh, stuck in, in shipping, uh, uh, etc. Et and when they finally got, uh, uh, got to them, they were in very bad condition. But uh, uh, surely you can do something to stop the mold, which would also kill the, the virus. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, um, I don't know if like isopropyl alcohol or whatever would kill the virus also. Um, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things like when we use isopropyl or different things to kill mold, you usually use it with a small little little paintbrush or with a Q-tip or with a piece of um, cotton, you know, something like that. And you always do it in a small little area. You know, I don't know what wiping an entire book with it would do. I don't know. I, I guess I'm what I'm saying is I'm more cautious about that than maybe I am about the virus, which is maybe not a good thing. But I, I'm, I'm more protective of my books than me, maybe, which is maybe a bad thing. <laughs> I guess, I guess uh, about killing the virus, we, we need to invite my wife because my wife works uh, uh, for Lysol. Oh, and uh, she cool. knows quite a lot about killing <laughs> different viruses, including <laughs> COVID-19. Does, does Lysol kill COVID-19? Yes. Oh, very cool. Well. As far as I understand, oh. in this part, <laughs> uh, that's 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 not not in any way, you know, a, a scientific uh, opinion. <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I, as far as I understand it, uh, Lysol kills even even much more, uh, you know, uh, uh, strong viruses. So, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and and you know, I I leave my books and boxes for a couple days anyway, even before the. The pandemic because you know depending on the location that the book came from it could be a really humid climate while i'm in a dry yeah. season or opposite yeah. you know and and that really i've actually had a couple books kind of early in my collecting that i just would open right up and you know if you lay them down flat on a table i'd come to them the next day and the boards are all warped oh yeah and i feel like a bad person because this book has gone through its entire life being fine and then i'm the one that messes it up and then of course you have to like leave it under um, weights and sometimes that doesn't even do it. Um, and you have to lightly humidify it, but you wanna be really careful when you do that. And then it becomes yeah. a project and <laughs> I don't like to do that. <laughs> so so uh, there is another thing I wanted to ask you about your uh, education and your studies. You, you uh, told us a bit about uh, your past, uh, about your degree and uh, about uh, some of the teachers you had and courses you, you, you took. Uh, in the past years, but are there any uh, specific uh, bookbinders and uh, conservators from whom you'd like to uh, study, uh, with whom you'd like to study? I know that uh, at the Guild of Bookworkers Conference uh, two, two or three years ago, well, I guess it would be three or four years ago, I talked with uh, Bill Minter. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's um, invented a lot of conservation equipment. Um, mm -hmm sort of a sonic um, welder, if you want to encapsulate something, crumbles for uh, dry surface cleaning, which are kind of basically ground up erasers. 
um anyway he's he's a really neat guy and he had mentioned that they were gonna they were hopefully gonna have an internship i believe the university of pennsylvania where he just set up a lab and i thought that that would be really neat to work with him uh, i had wanted to work with deborah howe for a while and i got to work with her um, working with Karen's been great. I have always really wanted to learn fine binding from Monique Lallier. Um, I've always really admired her work. Instagram person, uh, Louise Bescond. I've, mm-hmm. I've thought her work is good, but I don't think she does much teaching, but I've always really admired her work and her fine bindings. I studied one time with Sam Feinstein for about two hours on gold finishing, and I desperately need to go back and study with him. I think his gold tooling is, is fantastic, and I would love to work with him again. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of people. I'm probably missing a lot too. I really like Colleen Curry's fine binding work. Um, yeah, Colleen, Colleen Curry is, is an amazing person and, uh, and, and, and quite an amazing binder. She, she showed some of your work uh, when I was uh, in, in Telluride. And yeah, it, it is really inspiring and impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are a lot of similarities. And what about and and what about the more experimental side? Are you interested uh, uh, in in those things? Too? Yeah, definitely. I've been uh, kind of messing around on the side with the the Lacanose technique, which uh, Paul. I'm if I botch anybody's name, I'm sorry. Paul Delru Delru. Um, yeah. This he invented uh, quite a long time ago. I, so I had been in touch with him on kind of specifics on how to do that. I've been kind of messing around with that. Um, and I really like, um, I like the, the embossed type things that Luis does. Um, they don't, her, her, her bindings almost look like prints to me, these really soft embossed colors and these soft um, textures that she puts in it. I really like that. But she also has like a grounding in traditional fine binding. So you look at her book and it's like, all right, that's a French bound book if I've ever seen one. But then it's got this really neat technique on the surface, which is kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, uh, you had mentioned, uh, Stefan, that you studied with uh, Don, mm-hmm. and uh, he's another person I'd love to, love to study tooling with. Him and Sam are, are really fantastic at it, and I think that mm-hmm. learning from both of them would be really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Garrity, I've never studied with, but I've met him several times, and I know you guys just uh, have, you've actually interviewed him a couple times. I love his work. I think some of the, the unique things he does is really cool. And his space at Praxis Bindery is really neat. Uh, like to walk in that space is like, this is your studio? Like, this is so cool. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, working with him would be really neat, but um, yeah. And he is, he is quite an amazing person and, and, and a great teacher. So this is also quite important. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy that you mentioned uh, Louise Biscon because uh, I was trying to uh, remember her name because we're uh, we plan to uh, record a pilot episode of, of of a French version of our podcast uh, oh, really? uh, in in April I guess or maybe early in May and uh, we were discussing uh, who should be our first guest and uh, we have we have some ideas but Louise was what. Someone whom I wanted to uh, invite to to the podcast uh, quite a long time ago, and uh, so thank you very much. <laughs> well, and she's and you know I've only talked to her through Instagram, but she is a really wonderful person, and she's always been really generous with her knowledge and and willing to tell me how she does something or whatever. She's she's a really great person, so I think that that interview mm-hmm. would be awesome to watch. <laughs> and if it's in French, I can understand a little bit, <laughs> but not very much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope that uh, the budget will allow us to, you know, to invite not only hosts who speak uh, French and, uh, uh, well, we have we have plans for for Spanish version as well, but also uh, pay for translation and uh, um, and narration of the uh, podcast. So there there should be an English version as well, if and when we have enough money for that. <laughs> Well, and, and uh, you'd mentioned Spanish version. That brings up a really good point. Sol, Rebora. Yeah, yeah. Is that right, too? Um, yeah. She, she <laughs> has been doing these really awesome and fairly inexpensive uh, online tutorials. And mm-hmm. what's really neat about them is she saves the recording, and you can actually go back and, and purchase those. They're, they're like $25 or something, a recording. They're really cheap. And 
I've been loving her uh, tutorials as well. Like she did a really cool one on sewing. But, but that that's in Spanish, yeah. No, uh, she does she does it in English. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah she has she has both Spanish and English classes, but uh, she's been doing a lot of the English one. Um, I think she gets a lot more people probably for that one, but maybe I'm mm -hmm. wrong. But yeah, so they're they've been really awesome, and I started one with her on on Glitz, and that's what started me uh, taking a bunch of her workshops, but. I can never be there while they're being filmed, but uh, the recordings of them are awesome. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah, and she she's an impressive bookbinder, so yeah, that's that's a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, uh, it's 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 really strange because uh, uh, on one hand, uh, uh, I really appreciate when uh, bookbinders make online courses and uh, uh, record video lessons. Uh, on the other hand, it's definitely absolutely different experience when you are in class uh, uh, in person. And uh, I feel that, of course, if, if you have at least, uh, uh, any, any uh, evidence of, uh, of your uh, knowledge and of your style and uh, any records, any videos, uh, that would be better. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, still life experiences. <laughs> <laughs> something absolutely different right and you know uh being able to work with her online is something that i probably wouldn't be able to do in person especially right now but in general and so that's kind of cool that you can work with people who are far away from you yeah and yeah. I, I do really like that aspect about it too yeah yeah and you mean uh you're making something at home and showing to her and she uh, uh comments on it or how does that work? I bet that she would probably take an email with photos and, and give you some criticism and stuff. But really, her, her workshops are um, a lot different than Karen's workshops. Karen's workshops, she sends you a supply pack and you make it along with her. Mm -hmm. Souls are, um, she's just showing you how to do something and there might be some people who are work, trying to work alongside her, but I think it would be really hard because she doesn't do that same pause that Karen does and make sure everybody's kind of keeping up and things like that. So what souls are really are just a tutorial from start to finish. And what I think is kind of cool is you can go back and, and reference those videos if you ever are going to make it, you know, because she saves the recordings and you get to keep the recording. So kind of different work styles. Um, and then I have another friend uh, who lives down in Atlanta, and he's been doing, um, his name's Andrew Hewitt, and he's been doing workshops also, and he kind of does like a hybrid model, I believe, where he records it ahead of time with no students, and then while the students are there, they watch it, or they watch it ahead of time, I'm not exactly sure, but then he's there in person with them to ask any questions while they're working, so he records the whole thing from start to finish so that they can reference that later. And there's no like questions interrupting and no pause time and all that stuff. And then they have a, a live Zoom meeting where the people are actually working. And so that's kind of an interesting model too. So all three of these people are doing different online models, but all of them kind of work well different ways. So Okay. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> there are so many different approaches and uh, well, for each person, I guess that there, 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 there would be a different approach that works better for them. Right. Yep. I would certainly, I, I would probably like the pre-recorded one because <laughs> I mess, <laughs> I mess up my words a lot and I say um a lot and you know if I've made a pre-recorded one, I could make sure it's nice and you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, was there anything else you wanted to show us, or uh, uh, we did it, we did it all? You prepared for us um i mean i have some other books that we could run through really quick but we don't have to if we're almost out of time or... what about some of the books you made see that's that's the problem i don't have i don't have too many of those like most of my work is conservation right now right and so people send me something i repair it and then i send it back um and i keep meaning to make like some model boxes i oh i do have a lot of models i could bring those <laughs> I forget about my models because they just are like learning for me. They're not like supposed to be fantastic. Here are just a couple because I don't know how much time we have. But um, yep. 
So this was my first ever leather binding. It's really plain. It's simple. There's no no tooling on it whatsoever. Um, mm -hmm. It's in the French style. Um, it's got simple. Got simple two color end band. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, and it's actually on um, a print of the second edition of, I believe, Zanesdorf's The Art of Bookbinding. Yep. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, you know, it was just to learn. And, I, and this was the very first class I ever took with Karen, and I actually went to Chicago. This was three or four years ago. Um, and I went there and made this in person in her gorgeous studio. Um, the Guild of Bookworkers, I'm the librarian for the Guild of Bookworkers. I'm on the board and they have a bunch of digitized videos on Vimeo of all of their standards dating back to, I think, 1986. And these videos are phenomenal. And there's one that uh, Peter Garrity does on uh, vellum over boards binding. And I just followed that video one day and well, over, over the course of a couple of days and I made a vellum overboards binding mm -hmm. and I made the paste papers that are on the inside which are kind of neat mm -hmm. this is just a blank book because I was just wanting to practice it has a uh, rolled leather black in bands um, and then I really like paste paper when I have time I think it's fun and this book I actually own the historic model that I based this book off of it's from I think the 1700s it's a german book and so i wanted to make a copy of it so this is a german uh case binding which i made the pulled uh paste paper and then the the binder or the paste paper artist had put like fingerprints all over as like little dots and so i kind of did that also um, and so this is just modeled after that it's sewn in the same way it's covered in the same way and i tried to make the paste paper as close as possible so do you think these fingerprints were intentional or was it a mistake and uh, or just you know they were evenly spread waste out waste paper yeah, yeah yeah they were evenly spread out like it was a decoration and like it was on purpose but you know maybe maybe they accidentally hit it and they thought oh <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go with it but um, you, you know it's like when you see fresh cement you just have to leave your prints right, yeah, I right. mean, you just have to and, and this this surface i mean come on you just want to do that right so um and then i have a lot of stuff like this but this is just one example i have a little box um and you know it's got this little tab in it that kind of holds these together mm -hmm. this is just a simple box uh, made out of blue corrugated board but um these are different models of um corners so this is just your typical mitered corner. Uh, this is a laced corner. Mm -hmm. uh, this is an overlapping corner. And so on each one, I have the opened up version. Okay. Shows the cuts and shows the pattern. I have a little bit about the history and then I've got uh, the closed version. Um, this is a complete square corner where the corners literally are just you know, completely overlapping. Um, tongue corners, where there's this little, if you mm -hmm. can see that, a little tongue, and that goes down first. It covers the very corner, and then each of these go down, and then it, you kind of end up with that. Um, you have a library corner, yeah, uh, which is quite simply just folded over, and then, and then this is uh, a cloth mitered corner, and then I also added the the little trick. I don't know if you all know mm -hmm. to cut mm -hmm. that little slit right there. Um, but anyway, so I have a lot of things like that too, where I take a bunch of types of doing something and I put it in these little boxes. I made this while I was at Dartmouth. Um, I have a lot of boxes of paper binding models, things like that, that I've just made. And I've got a shelf of those, but I don't really, I'm not in the phase where I'm doing like a bunch of fine binding yet. I'm hoping to get there. But, you know, once I do that, I hope to have more things to show but right now it's really just historic models and like learning how to do something so well still still uh, uh with uh i guess most of uh, our guests uh, who do commissions who are fine uh, doing fine bindings and do commissions uh, 
when we asked them, well, uh, do you have uh, many of your own bindings in your collection? And they're like, well, I don't have time to make bindings for myself. So yeah, everything goes out, goes out of the shop. <laughs> have you, have, I don't know if there's a saying like this uh, from where you guys are from, but in, in the United States, there's a saying, the painter's house is never painted. <laughs> right yeah and, and you know and then you can you can use that for whatever so like i have tons of books that need restoration or repairs or whatever and it's just it never gets done and mm -hmm. you know uh, i had a i had one bookbinder tell me one time and i can't remember who it is but it's always stuck with me is i'm too expensive actually i think it was louise ask her maybe that was her she said i'm too expensive for myself so she doesn't own any of her books <laughs> <laughs> because they cost so much time and money to make that she doesn't, you know, she, she just makes them for clients who are willing to pay her, you know? And so, yeah, that, 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 that hits the nail on the head. I don't have the time or the money to make books for myself. <laughs> so. No, that's true. So I guess we will uh, finish our today's recording and uh, that was that was interesting and uh, in 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 some ways inspiring in some ways educational i hope and uh, it was a great pleasure to talk to you and uh, um yeah maybe we will return to you when you have your new home and uh, uh, a better workshop <laughs> yes. it's supposed to happen within this year so we'll see we'll see yeah yeah good luck good luck with that right. that's that's a, that's an important step cool, cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, this has been fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. And now I'm off to make Great. some boxes <laughs> that are also not <laughs> <Okay>. for me. <laughs> <laughs> so as usual, I'd like to say thanks to our uh, viewers and uh, our iBook Binding community and uh, special thanks to uh, our supporters on Patreon. Uh, with uh, your money, we pay for editing of uh, these podcasts, and uh, that uh, that helps us, uh, us a lot. And we appreciate your uh, uh, help uh, very much, uh, especially as we are planning to, as I as I told earlier, as we are planning to add the uh, uh, Spanish and French versions of our of our podcasts uh, to our channel. And uh, of course, it will demand even more money on editing of the videos and additional budget on uh, translating because we want uh, uh, these talks to be uh, available not only for French and Spanish speaking uh, uh, visitors, but also for English people, uh, English speaking uh, visitors. So if you've been considering uh, joining the crowd of uh, patrons on Patreon, please uh, uh, use the link below and uh, pledges start with uh, only a dollar per month or maybe it will be one year or one pound depending on the country you live in but still it's uh, for for i guess for most of our viewers it's not uh, so much and uh, we will uh, appreciate your input a lot thank you very much thank you for being with us jay today thank you pavel see you next time Bye. Bye.